We are wrapping up 2020 on Black Belt Voices with excellent tips on setting goals. Goals are powerful. Goals provide direction. Lee Oliver is a talent acquisition coordinator in Nashville who also gave us a glimpse into the mind of a job recruiter. And in this week's Turn to Your Neighbor segment, a mental health professional from Atlanta gives her take on protecting your peace. You're listening to the Black Belt Voices podcast, propagating the richness of Black Southern culture by telling stories from and about Black folks down South. Thanks for listening to episode 19 of Black Belt Voices. I'm Kara Wilkins. And I'm Adina White. Okay, Kara, remember in our last episode, you mentioned accomplishing a few of your goals for 2020. So what's the goal that you accomplished that made you proud? Um, the goal that probably made me the proudest was my meeting my savings and financial goals. I had decided I wanted to save a certain amount at the beginning of the year, and I was able to exceed that. And that's really good for me because I like to spend money. <laughs> what about you? That is a great one, especially during this year. Um, you know what? My word of the year, I went back and looked, it was move, but not like move locations, but just like consume something that moves me or like move from things that no longer serve me and things like that. So I did kind Mm -hmm. of um, make some moves like that. Like I kind of, and the pending may may have helped in some ways, but um, I shared some things that no longer served me. And I guess I I didn't, I looked back on that and forgot that that was the word I said when I did it, but it was good to see like, okay, I, I, I did that in some ways. So our guest today will make you want to take notes. So get your pen and paper or your notes app or whatever you use because she dropped some gems in this episode and she was just so interesting to talk to. My name is Lee Oliver. I am a senior talent acquisition coordinator. I represent Walton Enterprises and Walton Family Foundation. Lee is originally from Newport, a small town in Northeast Arkansas. She now lives in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a Southern girl to the T and um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. We talked to her about a number of things that we can't wait to share with you and get you started into this new year. She loves setting goals, especially during this weird time. Goals are powerful. Uh, Goals provide direction. Uh, When you set goals, you are inspired to work toward a desirable outcome. You know, in this time of being in a pandemic, we are losing focus and motivation, you know. So I encourage others to set goals to improve your focus we just, you know, we're, we're, we're working, but we're also just kind of losing that motivation. It's like, you know, I always tell my kids, I was like, it feels like we're like in this dark tunnel. So what can we do to get ourselves out of the tunnel? What can we do to motivate ourselves? Uh, I will say I, too, am a goal setter. So, so this is really yes, exciting. Me, too. And my problem is, like, I like to set them, but the execution part is tough for me. So. Right, which is why Lee gives you three steps to include when you're making a goal. It's not just enough to say, I want to do this. You also should have, your goal should also make you want to motivate, align with your focus, and sustain momentum. When you set a goal, you want to see progress 
Um, and it's addicting. You know, when you see yourself moving forward, it's very addicting. You want to go to that next step. Goals also align your focus. Um, Goal setting helps you align focus with behavior because you get feedback on your progress. So if, you know, you're writing that goal down, you're seeing it, you know, come full circle, that's your progress. And goal setting promotes self-mastery. Achieving goals builds character. She makes the point that writing down these goals makes it really real. And some of us like good old fashioned pen and paper. Um, But of course, there are a dozen resources that can help as well. I have already put that writing the goal thing down into practice. Like I said, I wrote down my word of the year, but I'm trying to revisit that a little more. And something else I'm doing, I recently started using the Streaks app. Have you heard about that, Kara? I have not heard of Streaks. Okay, it's well, it's not, <laughs> it's not like streaking. Well, you knew that. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I was I was searching for a habit tracker because my problem is some of my goals are a little too lofty, and this kind of helps me set little small habits that can eventually turn into something big, and then you'll see some change um, if you stick with it. So um, I just love that you can customize it. Like one of my goals is to do a a plank a day. I won't even. Okay, 30 seconds. I, I'm, I'm horrible. So do one 30-second plank every day. That's it. So far, I'm on like day 22 of doing that every single day. You know, I, I can't feel myself getting stronger yet, but eventually 30 seconds will be easy. And then I can move on to, you know, 45 a minute, you know. So yeah. that was pretty exciting for me. So, Kara, do you have any other cool app recommendations or how do you go set? I, I have... I'm really bad. I have like three different ways. So I have um, in my house, the chalkboard wall. And on that wall, I have like a big blow up of like my yearly goals. And I also have a vision board Mm. because that's something I have to look at every day. So those goals may be long term. They may be like, okay, you want to save this much in 2021 or For me, I'm trying to do a um, no spend year or a low spend year, which is a whole nother conversation. But like I have those things right in front of me and I look at them every day. So they're not they're not things that obviously I'm going to work on all the time, but they keep me focused and motivated. Then I have my planner that's a written planner. And in that, that's where I write out like, okay, for the month, these are the things I have to accomplish. Like I have to do this for work or I need to, you know, do these personal things or whatever, whatever things I'm involved in. Then (laughs) I have a daily Google spreadsheet. Gosh. I know. And my, my Google spreadsheet is my checklist of like everything I need to finish today. And all three of these things I need to have. Like I spent hours making sure that all of this was together. I love that because you're actually looking at it every day and sticking with it. Like I love that kind of stuff. I may make it and then put it away. And I was like, oh yeah, that thing. So I'm trying to find something that works for me. And I'm so glad that that works for you. That's okay. You guys, yeah. And I will even tell you, um, I have my vision board as my backdrop on my phone. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm that serious about it. Like I, I love new years and resolutions and goal setting. And I like to look back. Also, I make six months, like, like I, I check my goals like every three to six months to be mm-hmm. like, where am I? Did I do that? Did I do that? And if not, then, you know, I move it around or I do things like that. And I will tell you like, Lee talks about that too, right? How do you break those big goals into smaller bite-sized ones, but also 
still keep the bigger picture in mind. Do something every single day that gets you to that large goal, because I think um, a huge goal can be so overwhelming. And that's what deters people not to finish, you know, accomplishing their goals. It's great to be intentional and to have all these goals, but stay flexible as well. You you don't want to uh, get so overwhelmed with your goal that you're, you're missing out on the big picture. So I always tell people to stay flexible. And if you mess up on your goal, don't beat yourself up. There's, you know, you can always come back the next day, pick it up where you left off and just keep it, keep it moving. I love being reminded about SMART goals once you start figuring out what it is you want. And if you haven't heard of a SMART goal, it's an acronym. And the S stands for specific, the M stands for measurable, the A stands for achievable, the R stands for relevant, and the T stands for time bound. Yep, exactly. And I mean, your goal, again, could be that you want to save a certain amount. So you make that a specific goal. So don't just say, hey, I want to save. You say, I want to save this much. And then you break it down into like, what would I need to do every month to get to that goal? And that way you're following the smart metrics. So a lot of people just fall into the trap of being like, I want to I want to do this thing, but then they don't put all the rest, the measurable, the achievable, the relevant, and the time bound behind it. And so you got to do it all. Yeah. And another shout out that I want to give is um, Michaela Okome from Side Hustle Pro podcast. She's really big on goal setting and she she literally turned her podcast into her side. Her podcast was her side hustle. She turned into her full time job. And anyway, she has this goal getter action plan and she does what you talked about, Kara. She breaks down her goals into quarterly goals. Mm -hmm. And so she doesn't give herself 20 different goals to meet. She'll write down um, everything she thinks she wants to achieve for her business. And then she'll pick the top three and then she'll work on one goal per month for a quarter. So she'll have the January goal, February, then March. And then she has action steps along the way. And then the second quarter, she like goes back to drawing board and finds three more goals. So she doesn't just make one big New Year's resolution for the entire year. Like she really, she breaks it down to quarterly goals. And by the end of the year, you've accomplished 12 big goals. And I, that's what I'm trying to do this year. Like I actually wrote down those goals in my planner this year. And I'm going to have, I'm going to try to, it's going to be in my face a little more than it usually is. It won't be bird in Evernote or somewhere like that. Yes. So that's my goal for this year. I have three, they're all business related goals, but um, yeah, I can't wait to, uh, you know, do more on the personal side. Yeah, too. I'm with you. So here's a case that worked for Lee Oliver. She's just been living in Nashville for a little more than a year. It was a big step for her to move there because she lived, she had lived in Arkansas all of her life. And one day I said, you know what? I need a change. I need to jump um, because my children are adults, uh, recently divorced, not recently, but 10 years ago. Uh, but I needed a change. But to make that change, I needed to know what I needed to do, where I wanted to go. And then I just needed to just kind of, you know, jump out there. But I also needed a plan. Um, my plan was to write down five cities where I wanted to move. Um, and then I researched those cities, uh, cost of living, uh, job security, just different, you know, um, you know, issues like that. And then I needed to know when I was going to do it, how long it was going to take me. Um, so I made the decision to move uh, back in 2017, and I moved to Nashville in 2019. So 
uh, I gave myself probably about three, three years to just, you know, to say, you know what, I, I, I have to do this, but I gave myself time. Um, and I, and I had a plan. I wrote out everything that I wanted to do. Some things, you know, didn't come to plan, but, um, the majority of the things did because I prayed and I took time and I wrote my plan out and I looked at it every single day and I did something every single day to get me to my goal. So to Lee's point, sometimes your goal can be self-motivated and then sometimes your goal comes as a result of things that, you know, are out of your control, right? Like maybe you lost Mm -hmm. a job or maybe, you know, you get a divorce. And so then you have to make new goals and make new changes on the fly. So people don't have to wait until the beginning of the year to start things. I mean, life always puts these goals in front of you that you have to shift and move. So. And for me, I, I feel like it has to be a Monday though. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I have to start on the Monday and if like the, the Monday is on the first of the month. Oh my gosh. That's just like heaven. So th- this year, February and March are both Monday Mondays that fall on the first. Got so. so well, you know what? And what I tell people is use January as your 30 day trial period. And so since February 1st starts on a Monday, if for some reason you yeah. still are making your goals in January, it's fine. Start on February 1st, according to Adina. That's right. Yeah, Monday the 1st. I mean, <laughs> what perfect? That's a perfect day. So um, any day is perfect. So actually, I, I need to quit that kind of thinking. But I do love a fresh start. Like even a, a weekly start or quarterly, you know, like the end of the year is, of course, the mecca, the granddaddy of all the start dates. But yeah, you can do it anytime. Well, like I said earlier, sometimes your goals aren't as a result of something you planned. I know I actually ended up starting my um, my business, my consulting business, because I ended up leaving a job unexpectedly. And so, you know, that's one thing that Lee ta- we talked to Lee about was job seeking. Um, and I know that job seeking may be on a lot of folks' minds right now because of job loss, because of the pandemic. Or maybe, you know, some people are starting to figure out, well, I can change my job because I'm, we can work remotely and I don't have to be in a certain location all the time. Um, or maybe, you know, the pandemic has just kind of made you realize that the job you have is not the job for you. But something else that's good to point out, looking for a job is a job. I mean, it takes a long time to, to really find something that's a good fit for you. And then you have to write your cover letter if you do mm-hmm. it. The right way, you know, you want to customize it for the employer, spruce up your resume, send it out, wait, wait, wait. If you can interview, you prepare for it. So it's also very frustrating because some jobs post their salary range up front, while many do not. And so we asked this job recruiter, at what point in the application and interview process should you ask about salary? And we asked her about how do you ask for what you're worth? Oh, absolutely. That's a great question. I love when, you know, um, job seekers ask that question um, because I'm very upfront when I'm, I'm recruiting um, because you don't want to waste um, anyone's time and they are looking for a job and they are looking for a job with purpose. And I know a lot of people can say, you know what, you know, I'm not worried about the salary. I just want a job that fulfills, you know, my goals and all this and all that. Lies. Yes. <laughs> Lies. We want to know what those coins look like. Okay. 
Right. So, um, you know, I always say, you know, during the first initial phone screen, that's when it needs to come up, really. Um, that's when I bring it up because you don't want to go into three and four interviews. You've wasted your time, not wasted it, but you've taken time out of your busy schedule to interview. And then the uh, recruiters are taking time out of their day to, you know, interview. So, you know, you don't want to get to the second and third interview. And then now you're talking about, so what's the salary? And then they're like twenty, thirty thousand dollars below what you're looking for. You could have been out looking for another job, you know. Mm-hmm. So I always say during the first initial phone screen, the employers employers should ask the candidate what your salary range is. We don't, you know, actually have to say what the job pays, but you can say, you know what. You don't even have to say what you're making right now because um, I wanted to add uh, in a lot of states, we're not even uh, it's against the law to ask a candidate what they're making. So we don't even ask, you know, well, what are you making now? You don't even have to tell us what you're making now because that's none of our business, Um, because what we're paying you and what you're making now. I mean, it's it's nothing. Um, So we ask, you know, so what's, what's your salary range? And so with you telling us what your salary range is, you've already done the research on this job that you're applying to. And I always tell candidates um, or, you know, people that are looking for a job, always know what you're worth. Always know, you know, add on about 15, 20 percent of what you're making now, because we all know that we are all underpaid. So add on 15 to 20 percent of what you're making now and then go out to websites like Glassdoor, uh, Payscale and Salary.com. So if you are looking at a manager's position, go out and say, you know, type in what do what does this management position make in this city? Um, I have. 10 years of experience, all that will, you know, populate and say, you know, you need to be making, uh, you know, 45, 50, 60,000, but it'll tell you all of that. So when you go interview, you already have that information readily. And that's where we pull our salaries from. We just don't pull them out the air. We go to these websites, just like y'all can pull these uh, numbers from these websites and say, you know what? My salary range is fifty five sixty, and we're looking at it. Oh, you know, and all we can say is, you know what? That's in our salary. That's that's in our range. I think we can do that. So you won't scare any uh, recruiter if you know what you're talking about. But if you come up and say uh, that manager's position, and you say, "Oh, I'm, my salary range is one hundred and fifty thousand." I mean, that still won't scare anybody, but we kind of know that you haven't done your research, you know, so always do your research on the positions that you are applying for. And, um, it, you know, it all balance out. So no, don't, don't ever think that you're going to scare a recruiter because we have seen and heard it all. I love the explanation on that. Another thing to remember is that we're interviewing them too. And I just had a nightmare recruiting experience um, and my current employer knows that I looked for this job. So <laughs> if they're listening, you know, it's no big surprise. But um, someone learned me to a nice remote job at a tech company. 
um, that's not based here. The, the tech company is based here, but like their partner company is not. So anyway, um, the person told me about it. I would be working with them, but I had to go through the, the normal recruiting process. And uh, anyway, during the phone call with the, with the recruiter, the screening call, it was going okay. And then she asked me to tell her about my team. And, you know, I work for a very small company. Our team is like, we have 18 people total or 17 people total on the entire staff. So I was proceeding to explain that setup. And she was like, let me stop you right now. I'm asking about your team. I can tell you about our team. And she rattles on how their team looks and all this stuff. Anyway, then so I, so I started to answer the question again. And she kind of went off. Like, it wasn't just like, she kind of went off a little bit. So anyway, um, so then I started talking again and she cut me off and said, I don't think this is the right fit for you. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm, re- I'm interviewing you too, right? So I think you're right. I don't think it is a good fit for me. And then I said, do you talk to all of your recruits this way? And she said, yes, I do. Because if they can't handle it, then blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so we just, <laughs> we just agreed that, you know, it was time to shut that down and move on. And so, so um, I told the person who told me about the job and they were very apologetic and, and was, tr- and, made a way for me to have a second chance at the interview, but it was a good moment for me to realize this isn't really what I, what I am looking for. And it was a great paying job for somebody, but it wasn't for me. So her actually being like that was actually a blessing in disguise, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's what some people should take from those experiences is that you may not have the most positive interview. You may not have the most positive, you know, first impression, but it could be that like literally the culture of that organization doesn't work for you. So it's good that you know that up front instead of learning that down the road. So switching gears really quickly to things that are a little bit more in your control, which is your resume. And so Lee gave us some thoughts about here's what you really need to do and make sure that you don't do in your resume. We probably on the low end look at maybe 150 resumes a day. So we need something simplified. We don't want a lot of, you know, bells and whistles on your resume. You don't have to tell us like 20 years worth of experience. Keep it really simple. So things that stand out with me and um, a lot of people on my team is focus on your value. Let us know that you value yourself. Okay. Um, So pick out important skills that you are very, very proud of. Um, Your experiences, your trainings and your accolades. So if you're proud of yourself then we're going to be proud for you. I'm always looking at someone's resumes to see if you got employee of the month and, you know, what you have brought to the table and just different things like that. Um, Like I said before, keep it short. We don't need to see five pages of your life history. Okay. Because it's just like, I don't have time for it. I mean, because I'm just, you know, trying to, you know, get through those resumes and something that's going to jump out and simplicity jumps out for me. Uh, Proofread, proofread your, (laughs) put a little bit of Grammarly on your, on your computer. When you are drafting your resume, have maybe one or two other people look it over because Grammarly doesn't pick up everything. Uh, Spell check doesn't pick up everything, but another eye will look up you know, can just kind of just point out, you know what, 
that looks like it's misspelled. If you don't take time to proofread your uh, resume, then I'm not going to take the time to, you know, look at it, look at it either. And then I also just kind of, um, just kind of look at it as like, you know what? They didn't take the time out to look at their resume, so they probably won't pay um, attention to their, you know, duties here. But you know, um, if I see some strong, strong qualities in your resume. I'll reach out to you and say, you know what? Um, would you like to uh, schedule a phone screen with me? If you're really, if you're a really strong candidate, I'll tell you in your phone screen. Hey, before I move you ahead to the hiring manager, I want to point out some things on your resume that I think you need to fix. And then once you fix it, send it back to me, and I'll shoot it on to the hiring manager. I think that's fair, especially if they're a really, really strong candidate. Um, and I'm a fair, you know, um, recruiter as well. So I will do that. I don't, I can't say that for all recruiters. I do that, you know, so don't, don't, don't go to another company and say, I talked to another recruiter and she said that if I messed up on my, on my resume, then you send it back. That's me. That's Lee. (laughs) So, but pitfalls are, um, like I said, being too long and grammatical errors, that those are the number two no-nos in, 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 my, in my case. Another thing people tend to worry about are gaps in their resume. We feel like we have to explain why we weren't working. I, I know I suffer from that. Yeah. And I've seen a lot more people on LinkedIn and stuff saying, don't make people explain that. Like if they had to take off 18 months to deal with a sick family member or something like that, that's none of the the person's business, but it's hard. We fall into that trap of thinking we have to explain, but really, um, yeah, Lee's going to let us know that we don't have to tell all our business. I just say, go ahead and show the gap in your resume, uh, but explain it briefly. You know, we don't need a long drawn out explanation of why you haven't worked, you know, in a year or two. We don't want to get too involved in that right there, because then that's just a little bit invasive. So we don't, we don't need that. So, you know, um, like I said, just go ahead and show the gap in your resume. Um, and two lines or less, just simply state what you were doing. Keep the explanation short. And if it is personal, explain it in a way that you aren't telling the company your personal business. So um, I don't, I don't think it's, um, you know, anything wrong with telling us or anyone that, you know, you have a few gaps in your resume. And like you said, there's so many people out here that have lost their jobs right now um, in this pandemic. So it is very valid. And I understand and I would hope other uh, companies will understand as well. Recruits who run into Lee definitely have a good person in their corner. She's great. And we appreciate her for all of her advice. After the break, we'll talk more with Lee Oliver about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, a subject she's passionate about. So my name is Tanitria Buffington, and I am a licensed professional counselor. I work with clients. I work specifically with couples um, in some areas, and then I work with, I guess you'd say, the general population from ages. I think the youngest I work with typically is about six years old to, you know, older adults. Hi, Katrina Dupins here with this Turn to Your Neighbors segment. Tanitria Buffington has always had a heart for helping others. When she went to college, she initially thought that help would come in the form of practicing law, but an interpersonal communications class gave her another idea. 
And I just literally, I was like, this is what I want to do. Forget everything else. I just fell in love with that idea of helping people learn how to communicate. And of course, as I begin to get into more of the classwork, that was an undergrad. And then in graduate school, learning just about mental health in general and, and seeing how it affects so much of our lives. It was just something that I just really fell in love with. Tanitra has been counseling for 13 years, and she tells me so many people, particularly Black people, have trouble acknowledging that they need help. To that, she stresses that it is okay to seek counseling, that it is a mental health issue, not a character issue. It is really okay. It's actually encouraged to seek help. And I tell people all the time, we were never created to be islands, and so we need other people. And so getting help is not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign that quote unquote, you're crazy. It is really just a sign of, hey, I'm a person who is in need of help. I work with people who, you know, heck, I've been to counseling I, and I consider myself a pretty high functioning individual. Um, so, you know, I, th- I just think it really is a um, understanding that it's not just about uh, mental illness. It's also about mental health. And mental health is, you know, protecting our state of mind, protecting our peace of mind. There are three pieces of advice Denitria finds herself giving time and time again to her clients. And they are, number one, self-care is not selfish. Number two, boundaries are our friends. And number three, focus on what you can control. So many times people think if I take care of myself, that means I'm robbing my family of something. If I take a moment by myself, that means I'm not being a good mom. Well, the reality is we're not our best selves when we don't take care of ourselves. Then we can pour out, you know, into others, but it's not just about, you know, be a empty vessel trying to continue to pour out to others when we don't have anything refilling us. And so I would say self-care is not selfish. Um, I often say boundaries are a friend. Uh, so many people don't, I, I don't want to say no. I don't want to be mean. And, you know, boundaries are a good thing to be able to tell a person, hey, I can't do that. And that doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you are operating in self-care again. I think boundaries are a part of self-care. So so that is a huge one. And then also I tell people to focus on what's within their control. So many times we look and we're complaining about things that are outside of our control and we literally ignore all of the stuff that's right within our power. And the example would be, you know, I'm afraid or I don't like the way you're talking about me. Well, I can't control if you talk about me or not, but I can control how I respond. I can control how I'm living my life. And when it comes to dealing with anxieties that may come with this pandemic? A couple things, I guess I was probably say remove unrealistic expectations. When the pandemic first hit, there were several memes going around saying things like, you know, if you don't come out of this pandemic with a great body and this much money saved and this and this and this, you, it wasn't ever about time. You were just lazier. You know, it was this, this stigma. If you didn't come out a millionaire, you apparently were <laughs> just being a lazy bomb the whole time. And the reality is everyone had different situations. For some people, they are being able to come out of this pandemic with more money saved and they've had more time to be have some downtime. But for other people, they had to work while trying to you know, teach their children, trying to do all of these other things. And so everyone's situation is so different. So you have to be honest with yourself and look at, are my expectations realistic for my life? And if they're not, remove those unrealistic expectations and do the best that you can do given your situation. You know, every there may be some moms that can still work out every day. And there may be some moms that say, hey, we're just trying to make sure these kids are fed and they don't burn down the house while I'm working in the other room. So you have to set what is realistic for you. Again, focus kind of on what's within your control 
and do something that you enjoy. Take some personal time, even if everyone's at the house, get you a corner somewhere um, and, and say, hey, no kids allowed for five minutes. Let me breathe. Do something for yourself to just get a, a break. You can find out more about Tanitria at TanitriaBuffington.com. It's T-E-N-E-T-H-R-E-A Buffington.com. We've linked the address in the show notes. For this Turn to Your Neighbor segment, I'm Katrina Dupins. Welcome back. We're talking with Lee Oliver, who's a senior talent acquisition coordinator representing Walton Enterprises and Walton Family Foundation. She's talked to us so far about setting goals, helpful tips on tuning up your resume, and how to nail your interviews. She's also passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion in hiring. Earlier this year, a Wells Fargo bank executive made headlines for saying his bank was not reaching diversity goals because they couldn't find qualified Black candidates. I've definitely heard that song before, and there's so many reasons why uh, certain corporations can't find what they call qualified candidates of color, Um, but we know that they're out there, right? So the question is, what can employers do to attract a more diverse pool of applicants? Lee says the first thing companies must do is build partnerships with multicultural professional associations. Get out there and see what's going on out in the world. Build those relationships so you can start getting those pools and um, getting very qualified candidates. Because like you said, we're out here. Um, You know, build partnerships with other nonprofits, other organizations that are like yours. Uh, Start reaching out to HBCUs. I mean, they have so many networks that you can sit up there and be connected with. Do that. Um, Ensure senior leadership is committed to diversity, too. So it all starts at the top. You want that senior leadership to make sure that they are well knowledge about um, hiring diverse candidates. So Lee mentions HBCUs, and I know that I have a friend who just got her PhD from Howard, and one of the issues that she's running into is usually when you want to go work at another college or, you know, you you want to showcase your PhD skills, you need to be authored. And one of the problems is a lot of times companies and groups who use folks who have PhDs for um reports, they usually go to predominantly white institutions, right? Because they want people, they like the credibility of someone saying this person from Yale or this person from Harvard or this person from Princeton Mm -hmm. wrote my book. The problem with that is, is it doesn't give people who are at these HBCUs and other diverse candidates the skills that they need in order to put on their resume. And so then they're left out of the diverse candidate pool. So I was really glad that Lee said something about that because you companies and organizations need to build these partnerships so that they have people that they can pull from who can also be building their resume and building their skills. 
Another thing that Lee says companies could do if they're really serious about diversity and inclusion is expand their search area. Especially, I see this a lot in Arkansas. They say they want diverse candidates, um, but that state is so small. You know, there's only so many Black people and, you know, um, Hispanic people or just people of color, period. You could just kind of like recycle around. So they're going to have to spend the money to recruit. They're going to have to say, okay, we're going to pay relocation. We're going to go to the East Coast. We're going to go to the West Coast. We're going to just kind of just do this worldwide and bring great talent in. So when you are looking at a small area, um, you're not going to get the talent because there's just so many of us to just recycle. So get out there and, you know, you know, network in different areas. And lastly, companies need to make a concerted effort to ensure that diversity, inclusion and belonging are a core part of the company's culture. Corporate culture is critical for building a diverse and inclusive workspace. Make sure your recruiting team knows this is key to building a great diverse pool. So your inner core has to match what you are wanting. So I'll repeat myself. It all starts from within to get those diverse pool, um, the diverse pool that they are needing. That's a great point. And I've worked for a chamber of commerce for nearly 10 years, and I've learned that economic development has changed. It used to be the, if you build it, they will come philosophy. Um, You build an industrial park and people come to that city to work. Now people want to work somewhere where they want to live. They're more interested in the city itself. And they think this is somewhere where I want to live. And so let me find a job in this city. Um, And with remote work, we're seeing that even more because we're no longer tied to just a certain place. We can live where we want to and then find a remote job somewhere. Exactly. And if diversity isn't a priority for that city, then companies will miss out on recruiting people of color because who wants to move their family and raise their children and have their you know folks that they love in an environment that doesn't reflect them and what they see and in their values? And I've seen um, just personally um, where I moved from, I moved from Northwest Arkansas, which is, you know, made up of Bentonville, Rogers, Fayetteville, uh, those areas there. So there was an issue um, in the city of Bentonville where they had um, a Confederate statue just right downtown. And that's where the uh, really close, like maybe two or three blocks is the Walmart home office. That's where um, a lot of other small companies are, too. Um, Our nonprofit is right there on the square. So it's kind of tough bringing in people of color to interview. And then right outside of the window, there's a Confederate statue. So we're telling you that we want to to bring diverse candidates in. But when you walk outside of the door, look what's hitting you in the face. The statue she's talking about was removed from the Bentonville Square this past September. And I think they're going to put it in um, a museum or something. But that that's a start. That That is a start. And the city was getting so much negative feedback for that because that's what they were saying. It was like, okay, so you want to bring uh, people of color here 
to, you know, make your city grow and, you know, and, and flourish and all of that. But look what you have here. It starts within the city and then other companies will start and everybody will just, you know, hopefully it'll come full circle. I wanted to answer um, how can people of color ensure that they are discovered by recruiters? I think, you know, it is a candidate's job to, if they really want to be in that company, do your research, know who is on staff, um, reach out to people, utilize your LinkedIn, utilize your own networks, because you never know who knows um, could be working in that company and you could just reach out to them. I don't mind people just personally contacting me. A lot of recruiters are like that. Um, I know a lot of people on my team are because a lot of these jobs are uh, you, you really kind of land them by word of mouth anyway. What are some questions job candidates can ask during the interview to get a better idea of the organization's commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging and its work culture in general? Three questions that I always, you know, think are, you know, very good to ask an organization. And number one is what are you doing to make sure everyone feels included? Um, another word I like to use is what are you make what are you doing to make sure everyone in your organization feels like they belong? Um, I, I don't see anything wrong with that because I can sit up there if a candidate asks me, I can tell you, you know what? We're not where we need to be, but we're working on it. So this is what we're doing, you know, and I'll go down one, two, three, because after this summer, that's I, 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 and everyone else saw it, too. A lot of companies jumped on board to say, OK, what do we need to do to make everyone feel comfortable? Because right now everyone is on edge. Everyone is feeling uncomfortable. So what do we need to do? Everybody's starting over from scratch not even over, but starting from scratch. And it's hard, you know? Um, so I will I will be truthful and say, you know, this is what we're doing. And I'm hoping, you know, other companies will do the same. The next one is, um, are the companies recruiting efforts supporting a diverse culture? So how are you recruiting? You know, who's on your team? What are you doing to recruit, you know, um, people of color um, or diverse uh, candidates? You know, anything like that. And they should be able to tell you. Um, and the last one is, can you share data on the organization's diversity? If they don't have a website that you can go out there and see the um, diversity, you know, within their organization, they should be able to tell you and they should be able to tell you quick, especially if you are interviewing with the HR team. And if they are like, you know what, let me get back with you. They need to have those diverse, diversity numbers right there in their face because, you know, um, even people who are not of color, they ask those questions because they want to know, too. You know, so those are the three questions that I uh, encourage people to ask about diversity in organizations. You you should feel very comfortable um, in an interview. And if you are feeling uncomfortable in your interview, then I always say then maybe that's not the place you need to be because I want to make sure everyone is feeling comfortable when they sit down in front of me, when they are on the phone with me. Um, and I have learned so much from my supervisor because she's exactly like that. Um, because if you're feeling uncomfortable in an interview, then how are you going to feel 
if you get that position? You know, are you going to be on edge all the time? Just, you know, be yourself, tell the truth, make sure your answers match your resume, and then everything will be okay. We want to thank Lee Oliver for joining us on this episode. She encouraged folks to reach out if they have any questions about their resumes or finding a job or interviews. I mean, that's such a nice thing to do. She invited us to tell our listeners that you can add her on LinkedIn. She's Lee Oliver, L-E-I-G-H Oliver, and her email address is L Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R, at weiOffice.com. Okay, so now we're going to go into our call and response section. And this is, we end every show by asking our guests some rapid fire questions about being black and Southern. So, okay. (laughs) All right. So the first one is, what do you wish people knew or understood about the South? You know, I wish that um, people knew how deep seated we were with our values. We value everything, whether it is family um, our culture. Um, so our values run deep and I just, you know, wish everyone knew that, you know. So what do you love most about living in the South? Um, Southern hospitality. I love it. Uh, when I, I love being complimented on it. So when I'm going to different areas outside of the South, um, I am still, you know, using terms like, yes, sir, no, ma'am, uh, being very polite, I probably have a Southern twain. Um, so I love it when they always compliment me on just, you know, my Southern hospitality. And I love it. You know, I, I love seeing it within everyone else who lives in the South, too. That's true. We can't beat that. So if you could change one thing about the South, what would it be? You know, I, I think how people view us, um, you know, from our past, we are, you know, kind of defined from our past, from, you know, um, segregation, uh, the civil rights movement. And if you are going to define us, look at the good things that came out from the civil rights movement and how we wanted to progress. You know, back, you know, 50, 60 years ago, they were wanting the same things that we're wanting now is diversity and inclusion and to, you know, be able to belong. So I just, you know, don't want people to look at us in a negative way and say, you know, we still have those ways and we're still bringing negative you know, connotations to them. Just, you know, look at it as a, uh, as a way that we are wanting to still, you know, uh, bring about change. Fill in the blank. I would love to sip sweet tea on the front porch with. Okay. So, you know, with the recent passing of Senator John Lewis, you know, I would, you know, love to sit on the porch with him and just, you know, just sip tea and talk about, you know, everything from his past and talk about, you know, how it has come, you know, pretty much full circle, you know, with the voting rights and what's going on right now. I would just love to sit down and, and just, you know, communicate with him and just, you know, converse with him about everything that's going on right now. Yeah, he would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favorite black or Southern saying? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, what's your favorite soul food dish? And at the risk of losing your black card, what's one soul food dish that you could live without? Chicken and dressing is my all time favorite soul food. And, um, I think I would have to go with black eyed peas. Um, I'm not a big fan of them. (laughs) 
not for you know. <laughs> I, yeah, there. My mom makes fun of me because uh, there's this Tupperware dish, and we were putting the, up the leftovers. Mm-hmm. And then I closed the lid and I said, um, "These will never see the light of day again." Because <laughs> the black eyed peas, because they would just stay. I mean, but I, I like them okay, but I used to add a lot of sugar on them. Uh, yeah. Bread, but. Yeah. Somebody said, you know, you'll probably like them if you make this uh, dish called Hop and John. I was like, mm mm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so so New Year's on New Year's. Um, so what do you do? Do you eat the? What do you do for your luck? You know, um, chance, you know. Well, no. Um, I've read where you can eat the cabbage, you know, for luck because that's you know, um, it represents you know the the color of green, and then it you know, um, it it I think it represents money or whatever. So you can you know, uh, kind of substitute the cabbage for your good luck. So I eat cabbage. So okay, okay. See, I thought you had to do them all, like the the jowl and the, and the peas and the and the greens or cabbage. But it, okay, if you can substitute, I guess we can. <laughs> I, probably so. Is uh, you know, I, I that's probably why I miss out on a lot of luck. <laughs> I ain't finna, you know. That's funny. <laughs> uh, but the chicken and dressing, I'm I'm with you there. That's some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so what's something awesome that's happened in your life recently? I think going back in our conversation earlier um, about goal setting, um, the, the best thing that's happened to me um, recently is that I jumped. I, I, you know, I jumped out on faith and prayed about it and just, you know, just asked God to just, you know, hold my hand through everything. And I made the decision to just start my life all over and I know um, it's, 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 it is uh, tough to say it out loud, and, but it's a, it's a lot better once everything comes full circle. So that's the best thing that has happened so far in my life recently. <laughs> that's really cool. And it's, it's inspiring to hear someone who like took a big leap, you know, left everything. Yeah, just, just, change, just change, change things up, you know. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm not in my 20s no more, so I can't move or I can't do this. But yeah, there, there's always time to. Oh, absolutely. To, to follow our dreams and ambitions and all that. So, absolutely. Always time. You know, um, God gives you, you know, breath in your body. You know, each day is always time, you know, to make sure you write your goals out and just, you know, pray about it and, you know, do something different. Uh, do something different that you didn't do yesterday. So, that's that's me. Oh, well, thank you so much, Lee. This was fun. You're welcome, Adina. I am so glad that we connected. Okay, 2020 is behind us, and this year has been a doozy. But for the Black Belt Voices podcast, it actually wasn't that bad of a year. It was a great year, you guys. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because like uh, it was January when um, the end of January when we were first featured on Apple Podcasts, new and noteworthy section. Thank you so much, Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you for everyone who put us in that section and also in, in like a Black History Month section. And then unfortunately, during the during all the unrest this summer, 
an unfortunate byproduct, but actually a good byproduct, was like how black voices were being elevated, and ours was one of those. And so Apple, again, featured us in several categories and on their podcast page, which turned, which led to a mention in a Vanity Fair article, and then which eventually led to a mention in O, the Oprah magazine. Exactly. So, thank, and we are just so grateful for everyone who listened to us this year. Like our, you know, this year was a big year of growth for our podcast, and we hope to just... Keep the momentum going in 2021. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, agreed. We appreciate each and every one of our listeners. We have so many people who listen outside of Arkansas. And we just really thought when we started this, it was going to be like a little local podcast. And we have people internationally listening. (laughs) Yeah, it's a Southern podcast. But we have folks from around the world listening to us. And and we're just so (laughs) grateful because we just never thought this would become something that has resonated with so many people across the world. So what are you looking forward to in 2021, Adina? I think with all the talk of career that we've had in this episode, I am, there will be a shift in my career um, in 2021. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm excited about for, I mean, I'm, I'm humble about the people who, who have supported me and encouraged me to kind of follow my dreams and passions and things like that. And that, that's from current employers to just different, you know, mentors and professionals, you know. So I, I'm, I'm excited about taking um, a new direction. Um, personally, I just hope to, you know, learn to appreciate things more. Like, I mean, eventually we'll be going to, um, you know, stores and restaurants again without feeling scared of getting sick. So I, I'm just looking forward to kind of, you know, appreciating life a little more. How about you, Kara? I really need to in 2021 see a continuation of these conversations around race that started in our country and I don't want people to sweep it up back under the rug or say well we did we gave some money to some folks or we did a few things so now we're done um this is a we started something in 2020 that needs to continue to grow in companies, in individuals, and in organizations as we go into this new Biden administration and we're getting rid of some of the old baggage that we have. We need to continue to have these race conversations and, you know, be forthcoming as a nation about how we can um, shift and change some of our way that we do things to make sure that things are more equitable and fair for everyone. So. Mm-hmm. That's so true because like as grateful as we are for a change in this administration, this presidential administration, it's not a cure all. And like as someone put it all, we just put the fire out. There's still a big soggy mess to clean up and there's honestly a mess before. So Absolutely. yeah, I love, I love that. Just keep the same energy in 2021. And we will be here to keep y'all updated on all of the progression that hopefully will be happening here in the South on Black Dove. Yes. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find us. You can also listen to the Black Belt Voices podcast on most streaming platforms. This episode was edited and produced by Katrina Dupins and Prentice Dupins Jr. with music composed by Prentice Dupins Jr. Black Belt Voices is a production of Black Belt Media, LLC. Be sure to follow Black Belt Voices on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Belt Voices. 
and visit blackbeltvoices.com.